Force O'Neill, thanks for listening to my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron. Hey, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to episode 272 now of the Ron and Don Show, and yep, we are live from the Electron Studio. What is up, Ron and Don? Hey, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, uh, we're going to talk about why um, this is stunning. Some new research out about Americans and moving and why we aren't moving anymore. And yet we hear all the time, everybody's moved. This is really, really fascinating. Can't wait to talk about that. Also, uh, we have to talk about the fact that uh, in Saudi Arabia, they're about to start a golf league, start golfing in Saudi Arabia. What happened to PGA, PGA here in America? Before we get to that, though, let's get to this. You just had a really cool thing happen, and we teased about it in our last episode. We couldn't get to it. Uh, and it has to do with real estate and something called Arch, right? Yeah, this is um, so probably the biggest one of the biggest issues I think in the Pacific Northwest is affordable housing. Like when whenever there is a survey of of people um, and they talk about the, the things that they like dinner table topics, affordable housing is right up there with income inequality and probably homelessness and, and drug use around the Pacific Northwest. And so, and how horrible the Kraken are, and how horrible the Kraken are, and how nobody goes to the games, and yet the tickets are still very, very, no, why are they so very expensive? expensive? There's and there's no one there. I, I've I've been to a couple of games this year, and they've been pretty full, but yeah, oh they, yeah, they're they're not cheap. Yeah, it's not cheap to go to. So, um, how do you what what's the solution? Like, I, I think a lot of times, you know, you and I live on, in the Queen Anne neighborhood. Where the average price of a house is is a million dollars plus. King County, it just went over yesterday. A million seventy eight is the average price of a home in King County. And on in the east side, it's even higher than that. Yeah. So um, we we sort of forget or what? Where is the place for people with lower incomes? And for the Pacific Northwest, that can be eighty thousand dollars can be considered lower income when the when the house price is over a million dollars. So there, there's a program, and, and I was unfamiliar with it, called ARCH, A-R-C-H. Uh, they're out of Bellevue. And we happened to get a listing for an ARCH property. And um, so there's a bunch of extra things that have to happen outside of the, the, the deal. So we do a regular listing, regular photos, present it in the Ron and Don way. But then once we get the offers in, we have to send whoever uh, gets that house to ARCH and then Arch has to approve, make sure that this person buying the house uh, complies with their income requirements. You had there, they have standards on how much money you can make, how much liquid asset you can have, whether or not you own other property. So they do this full approval process and they can basically veto the deal. You basically can't make, you, you ha- what they're looking for is they're not, and it's, and it, it's weird as a real estate agent because we're always wondering how much leverage, how much money do we have? How much money can we put down? And even on this deal, people kept contacting us and saying, hey, can I, can I escalate on this deal? And, and, you, and can't. you can't. So the price of the, of the unit was fixed by Arch. 
cannot escalate above that price, that is the price. And it was about half of what we could have sold this thing on the open market. So, but that's not the story of this deal that was interesting to me or, or one of the things. So I start getting, so Arch takes our listing, they email it out to all the people that have been on these waiting lists. And if you can imagine that maybe you make 40 grand a year, or maybe you have a disability, or maybe you're on a fixed income and you're waiting for housing, like you want to own a house, you want to live in the Pacific Northwest. So as soon as that email dropped to their mailing list, I started getting phone calls because my name is, my, my phone number's on this. And I can either look at this one of two ways. Boy, this is really annoying. All these low-income people are calling me, blowing up my phone. What's their problem? I'm the listing agent. Don't they know how this works? I can't represent them anyways because I can't do dual agency. Wait, Go get what, your own agent. This is what you were thinking? Or I oh, could okay. think that way. Or I could go, well, is there any way that I can hopefully help a few people here? And so when people would call, the first thing I would do is say, do you have an agent? If they had an agent, I would say. When you, when you say, don't you know who I am? Exactly. Yeah, that's, uh, I, that's how I am. So they work with an agent. But there were many people that had no agent. And the thing that was really satisfying for me is, and, and I'm trying to say this in a way where hopefully it doesn't come across as condescending. Are you the hero of your own story? I'm here? not the hero of your own story. Okay. I think that. For whatever reason, if you're lower income in America, you either don't know how to access or don't have access to um, the same suite of professionals That's true. that a high income person has true. access to. That's true. So if you're if you're a high income individual, you get the best uh, lawyers. You get the best, you know, investment brokers. You get the best real estate agents. You get the best medicine. You get the best you doctors. You get the best medicine. Yeah. You get the best of these things because you can afford to pay for those things. And if you're buying a $2 million house or a $3 million house, you have an, a set of expectations that that agent is going to be among the best agents. And you get a jumbo, you might get the best interest rate from the bank because right. they want to do money. Yeah, it just it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. So this group of people that are in the lower income for our area did I'm assuming they do not have access to, to, to the agents, to the, to the professionals that, that other people have access to. So I, I connected, I called some agents that I know and trust and that are good agents. And, and I said, will you do that? Like, this is going to be a, a lot of time and effort for you and you're not going to make a lot of money. Will you represent this arch client? And so I reached out to a bunch of different agents and I had people at the ready. And so I, thankfully, some of these uh, other agents were like, of course I would do that. Like, I, I would be honored to do this. Uh, and, and I've never done it before, but I'll do it. And so as people would call me and I would have really good conversations with them, I was able to connect them with, with excellent agents, like agents that typically deal in, in very high priced homes, again, which doesn't necessarily mean they have expertise, but they're, they're solid agents. So I did that for, I believe, four different people um, and were able to connect them. Because these people were contacting you. Just because they got an email from Arch. Yeah, and your fiduciary duty is to our client, but at the same time, your fiduciary duty in the state of Washington is is to make sure that that other person has representation if they want it and and ask them about that. Well, I felt like I you don't should... want to take you don't want we don't want to take advantage of them and it because because you can buy a piece of real estate not being representative, but it's it's not smart to enter a legal agreement 
uh, that could last 30 years because of all the consequences. Well, if, if you don't understand that. I will be honest with you. In previous deal, like listings that we had that were not Arch listings, I would not give people this much time. If someone called me, and they have called me on other listings, I'll just say, you need to find an agent. I call you on some of our listings, and you don't give me the time. Correct. Yeah. And so on this one, though, I had- No time up, Shaw. I had to check myself and go, okay, I am going to go above and beyond for this because I think it's the right thing to do. Um, now, flash forward, and now here's the flip side of that. Coin. You are turning out to I be the hero, hero, of, the hero of the story. You are. And, yes. and then I started stacking chairs. <laughs> uh, so we get to the offer review date, yeah, and we get 17 offers. So here's the thing that made, made me sad and proved my thesis that I thought my instincts from the beginning is we have 17 offers on this arch home. The rules could not have been more clear. I explained them in a, like an offer instruction sheet. The arch paperwork was there. They explained it uh, in great detail on, on how the offer needed to be structured. And, and then a lot of people called me. I explained it to people verbally how what the parameters were as I understood them. And yet still, probably 40% of the offers that came in blatantly disregarded all of the instructions. So here you have... And you're an instruction person. Well, Just so you are. You're an. Ind- I am. That's be- why you're very good at what you do, and I'm not joking when it comes to the contract because be- be- and real estate is all about the contract and understanding both sides of the contract. And you do a very good job at not pitting us against other real estate agents. When you see a, an agent that is maybe not as familiar with the contract as you are, you invite them to the table. I'm amazed sometimes when we, when we go and you feel like you're up against an agent that's been doing this 30 years. And they let you know. And instead of being gracious and sitting at the table, sometimes they want to put you in your place. Uh, it's better when we all sit at the table versus sit across from each other. And you do a very good job at, well, at inviting, inviting people uh, to, the, to the table. So I felt bad as long for as there's ice cream. These, these, these clients. These people had their hopes set on getting an affordable house. I bet all of them had really compelling stories. I bet all of them work exceptionally hard. They probably have multiple jobs and they have kids that they wanted to go to this, this school district and they had set their hopes on, wow, if I can get this arch house and we can move into this neighborhood and we can send our kids to these schools, our kids are going to have a better opportunity than we had. And they really didn't even get out of the starting block because their representation. And I, again, I don't want to, they, they, people made mistakes. They made mistakes. They didn't follow the rules. And so therefore their offer couldn't be accepted. And that made me sad. And it made me realize that everyone deserves access to people that will advocate for them. Like it, it made me realize that I do have something. I, I have lived a privileged life in a lot of ways where I have had access to mentors and professionals that have helped me. Um, and that that's because of a variety of reasons, but it, it does make me happy to know that at least for four people, um, because I personally handed them off, they are going to be represented well. And these agents all told me, I, as long as this person wants to buy a house, I'm going to find them a place to live. Uh, and realizing that for, I bet all four of them, this will be the smallest monetary deal they'll do all year, but hopefully it's the greatest 
in terms of, of helping another human being. And the person that eventually got this house that we listed on, or we're in contract right now, and they're still being approved. This is going to change their life and change the life of that child. Uh, it just is. Um, yeah. And I, and I've listened to calls that you've been on with the other agent and other people. And, and, and that's the driver is, is, is seeing this, this life change. Uh, Cause a lot of times we go through a deal the, where someone's like, I live in a really great neighborhood in a really great house. I want to move into an even bigger house that has a wolf range. Nothing like, wrong with wolf. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's the same as Viking though. And people don't know that. And what I could do is I could take a Viking range and I could peel off Viking and then I could go online and buy a wolf tag and I could stick it on your oven and you would think it's wolf. You would think it's Viking. And guess what? You're both right because the internal parts are all the same. We'll see you on the other side of it. You can just tell that, they, uh, that they're just real genuine guys and, and care about uh, who they work with and just feel like we, you know, we got, we got some, some more friends now. It truly is one of life's biggest transactions. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. Hi, I'm Ollie. Hi, I'm Emmy. Hi, I'm John Greenland. I'm Lauren Greenland. Hi, my name is uh, Anthony Kroll. Hi, I'm Gretchen. And I'm Byron. And we sat down with With Ron and Don. Mm -hmm. They were more prepared. They paid way more attention to detail. um, And then they just came in with with a lot more knowledge and were able to set those expectations up a lot better than um, some of the previous uh, realtors that we worked with. So, I mean, I was I was extremely pleased with uh, the the entire, the, the sit-down, the, the experience, and, and the results, of course. There was a friendship that developed and a, and a, and a trust. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say a trust and then, you know, we yeah. have, we love them. It's been a hell of a lot of fun for one thing. I see them as, as friends now. I feel like they've made me feel part of this community and knowing that, you know, Dawn's just down the street is, is comforting. <laughs> we totally consider Ron and Dawn friends of ours now, and we do miss working with them. It was intense there for a little bit, but it's an experience that we'll always remember and have and... Um, and now lifelong friends. It's the Ron and Don Nation. That's right. <laughs> Don't forget, when you're ready to sit down and start your real estate journey, schedule your time with the guys at ronanddonsitdown.com. You're listening to the Ron and Don Show on the Ron and Don Radio Network, ronanddon.com. All right, you guys, uh, welcome back to uh, the Ron and Don Show. I just got done reading a very interesting article about the fact that eh, we always hear that everybody's moving to Montana or everybody's moving to Idaho or everyone's leaving California. They're going to Texas. Statistically, kind of, but really not true. When historically you look at when Americans were really moving, right? Think about this during World War II where the president called Etzel Ford and said, I need bombers, I need bombers, I need bombers, I need bombers. He knew the only way, the president at the time, knew the only way that he could beat the Luftwaffe, the only way that he could beat those Panzer tanks, is not with those Sherman tanks, because those things were garbage. He knew he needed bombers, 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 bombers. And he knew in order to win in the Pacific and also in Europe to have that kind of influence. Because think about this, when Pearl Harbor happened, We had the 16th largest Navy in the world. That's amazing when we think about 
how big and how much money we spend on our Navy today, right? 16th in the world. Within two years, we catapult to the biggest Navy in the world. We only had three and a half aircraft carriers in the Pacific. Women, Rosie Rivet and black Americans went to work in this country. And the next thing you know, they produce over 100 aircraft carriers. It's either 114 or 144. Someone check me before you wreck me on that stat. In order to build those bombers, though, there was this great migration from the south, where a lot of people had lived in Mississippi and Alabama and places like Arkansas and Florida, and they wanted they wanted those jobs of building those bombers. And in World War II, a lot of people thought African Americans specifically were too dumb to fly planes and drive Sherman tanks, but what they could do is they could build roads and they could build bombers. So we see this great migration of a lot of African Americans all of a sudden moving up to places like Detroit where they took those factories where they built those Model Ts and they said, we're going to use these. We're gonna, we are going to produce a bomber every single hour until the war effort is over. In fact, more bombers ended up crashing on the way to theater than actually crashed in theater because they didn't have enough pilots to actually fly these things. And by the time they got to theater, it's pretty amazing what happened there. So I don't want to sit here and give a World War II lesson. But what I do want to say is then all of a sudden, all of these young Americans come back from World War II. And guess what? They, they, start, they start migrating west, right? In the same age, when we go back and we look at when the trains and the railroads are coming, all the forest fires that we had was from those trains and those rail cars sparking in force. So the next thing you know, we start chopping down force, and then we're starting to use that lumber to do what? Uh, to, deal, to, to build places like Seattle, Washington, right, or Bellingham. And then we start floating those logs over uh, from Lake Washington to Seattle in order to build this great city that we all live in. And so there was always this dream. To go west, young man, to go west, young woman, everybody's coming west. And a lot of African-Americans in this country, instead of going west, they went north. White people went west, African-Americans went north. And as a result of that, we could go back and look at decades where over 40% of Americans each and every year, they move. They move somewhere. But guess what? So many have people have come west now. And I remember even when I was a little boy, and my father told us we're going to the great frontier of the Southwest. We moved to this crazy place called Albuquerque, New Mexico. A lot of people have moved to the Southwest and the West. What's interesting now is there's no West to move to because we've all moved. And so now we see people retreating going, well, I'm going to Montana. Well, I'm going to Idaho. And the places that people are retreating to are places where people think more like they do. So when you look at California, the majority of people that are leaving California and going to Texas, what part of Texas? Because chances are, if they're from San Francisco and they lean more to the left, they might move to a place like Austin, right? But if you lean more to the right, you might move to like a place like Richland, Texas, on the outskirts of Dallas, because there's people there that think, well, they think more like you do. Also in Texas, they don't have that state income tax. People love that. Coders love that. Tech workers love that. And the same here in the state of Washington. It's one of the reasons why we don't have a state income tax is because, number one, you'd have to change the state constitution to do that. And then also, it's such an attraction for uh, not just big businesses, but for their workers, they want to come here, especially if they've been down in California. Ron, I thought that this was really interesting, that 
one of the reasons why, and we talk about the reasons why, we don't have a lot of homes to sell, not just here in Seattle and the East Side and Everett and Olympia, but really all around the country. And one of the reasons is there's really not a lot of people moving west anymore. Yeah, it, this was an interesting article, and and uh, I would like to finish up the World War II uh, lesson because you've read a lot of books on that. But it, it, when you think about it, it's one of those things that after it has been said, it makes sense. But the this question that nobody had asked, because we had had decade after decade after decade of this fluidity around America, no one, and by no one, I mean as a society, we didn't go, okay, well, what happens when this stops? When the merry-go-round stops, what do we do? And the answer was, I don't know. And so that's what we're dealing with in the Pacific Northwest right now. The merry-go-round has stopped. Um, there are all the people that were here already fought, have fought tooth and nail against any sort of zoning changes, any sort of density changes. You, you, you drive around sometime and just have this in the back of your mind next time you're driving around. Whenever you see an apartment building or you see a multi-unit structure, condos, anything that's multi-floor, multi-family, pay attention to where that is. And when you're driving around other neighborhoods and it's all single-family homes with lawns and an alley in the back and a garage next door, pay attention to where that is. And what you find here, I think, more than almost anywhere else on the West Coast there has been such uh, this vehement fight against any sort of development, any sort of density, any sort of like public transportation uh, happening that would bring those people into these neighborhoods. That that's the end of that's the end of this story. Is people stopped moving? They're now holding on to property. They don't want to sell it. They want to keep it for generational wealth or whatever they want. And now, the, the if there is any flow of people, there's nothing there for them to go to. There's not these afford. Like you talk to people that are longtime Seattleites, and they go, "My grandparents bought a. They worked at Boeing. They bought a house in Beacon Hill for for eighteen thousand dollars or twenty seven thousand dollars." We have an agent in our office, Patty that used to sell houses in Wallingford and I was out touring with one. She goes, I sold that house in 1970 blank. Isn't she still selling houses in Wallingford? She is. She's like, I I sold that house the first time for, for, you know, 37 grand. She's smart because she, she not only sells real estate, but she's bought real estate over the years. She started as a teenager at a Windermere office, like 18 and she's never left and she's well into her seventies now. And she's, she's amazing. So, but you go 37 grand. Like that used to be a thing. You could work at the Ballard shipyards, buy a house for your family in Ballard or in Wallingford or in Fremont. Out of the Sears Roebuck catalog. Out of the, for 50 grand or less. Where did these craftsmen come from? Your payment from would catalog. be, you know, $119 a month. And that, that's within a lifetime. That's within, you know, our grandparents' life that that happened. And now, but then, like you said, they would move. There was movement. And now that movement is gone. Those housing housing stock is gone. And so it, it is. It was a very interesting article because it sort of plugged a gap in my knowledge of going. We we see the results of this, but I don't necessarily know why. Do you watch Yellow? Have you watched eighteen eighty three? Eighteen eighty three is the prequel to Yellowstone. I haven't subscribed to the Paramount so, or Peacock or whatever. Yeah. It is. So without giving anything away, I think I can say this. Uh, 
Tim McGraw, his wife Faith, do an incredible job uh, in the show called 1883. And it's about the drive to come west. And they come west and they get to Montana. And now we fast forward to Kevin Costner's character, which is the main character in Yellowstone. He runs the Dutton Ranch, which is supposedly the largest American cattle ranch in the country. And he's a descendant of Tim McGraw? Tim McGraw was his great-grandfather. Okay. Yeah. Tim McGraw, believe it or not, is no longer alive in, in, in the modern-day Yellowstone. He was alive in 1883. Gotcha. Tim is no longer with us. He did, he's a great actor. He's a good actor. He was really, really yeah. And, and, and Faith is amazing at it. So, so now Yellowstone is all about Tim McGraw's went in and took this land away. In 1883, they show it from the American Indian, from Native Americans, and, and fought to take that land away. Took it, has it, and now John Dutton can no longer pay the taxes on that ranch because all around it, housing has popped up, and also the Native Americans, they, they have created casinos and created wealth for themselves. So now the Native Americans would like to come in and purchase that land and take that land back. So there's the struggle. And then also the government wants that land to pull it from the Dutton family, flip that land, and start selling parcels and building homes and golf courses, which is kind of what has happened to the American West. That's the story of, of the American West. On a television show called Yellowstone. I've heard a lot of people love it. My sister's way into it, but I, I need to just, I guess, pay the subscription fee. Kevin Costner is amazing in it. And I think what happened is when he was younger, he played Wyatt Earp, and, and no one ever watched that movie. He has basically just recreated himself as Wyatt Earp in our uh, modern day Yellowstone. We'll see you on the other side. Hey, it's Ron Don here with Mitch Weeks. You know him better as Mitch.loans here on the show. Mitch, interest rates seem to be going up. Should I panic in 2022 if I want to jump in the housing market? You should not panic, but if you're thinking about jumping in, now's the time to jump in because they've been going up and they're going to keep going up. So and what does that mean for every point of interest that goes up? Every percent of interest rate that goes up, the general rule of thumb is you will lose 10% in buying power. That's huge. A million dollar house, you're now pre-approved for a $900,000 house. Mm. And that's a totally different type of house you're looking for. Let me make sure I understood this. So if I was already pre-approved but didn't buy a house yet and I was approved at a million, when the Fed raises the interest rate and it goes up a point, that means now I'm at 900 grand. Yeah, interest rates change a point and you lose 10%. All right, Correct. so call Mitch or actually go to the website, Mitch.loans. Tell him you are Ron and Don sent you and you're going to save one half a percent on the value of your loan. That's up to one half a percent on the value of your loan. And you should get locked in now because like you said, these interest rates are going up this year. The Fed has announced that. So it's Mitch.loans. That's Mitch.loans. Uh, check them out today. All right, you guys, welcome back to the Ron and Don Show. Some quick headlines. Uh, the PGA is leaving and going to Saudi Arabia. What is no, going on here? You're, you're, you're the uh, town golfer. What is, what is top golf, by the way? Everyone's talking about top golf. You got to go play top golf. Uh, I don't know. I'm, okay. I've, I've gotten out of golf because it took too much time and too much money. Then why am I? Then why are you, it says expert on golf on your shirt. 
I mean, and, I played golf why, in high school. And you wanted me to ask you this question about the PGA, no, and, you don't, and you don't even know what Top Golf is. I'll, if I, if, I know what Top Golf is. I was pretending not to know. What is Top so Golf? So you, it's just golf, and it's people at the that are at the top of the game, and they play Top Golf. It's the Top Golfers. So Greg Norman, my son, my son is a Top Golfer. Go ahead. Greg Norman uh, has teamed up with some very wealthy folks from Saudi Arabia, and they want to start a golf league, and so they want to have tournaments. And you enter, you join this league similar to the PGA, and there'll be prize purses. And so they want, he's trying to attract big names to go play in these tournaments. And so the PGA of America is blocking this mm. by saying to the PGA members, um, if you sign up for Greg Norman's league, you are banned from playing any PGA event. Wow. And so, because the, if you don't, the way the PGA works is you have to get a PGA tour card. It's called Q school. So like if you're a good golfer, you might play college and then you go on, there's these satellite tours and you play, play, if you win certain things, or if you place in an open tournament, sometimes you can go straight to Q school. So all of these people that want to be professional golfers on the PGA go to this, you qualify for the Q school tournament. And if you score on the top, I don't know, 20% or whatever it is, you get your PGA card. So that's that's your golden ticket. Once mm. you have a PGA card, you can now play in any PGA event. And so you can go and enter and you can try to play the Masters. You can try to play Sahali. You can go around and enter all these tournaments. And if you do well, you win very big prize. Those where the biggest prize purses are. That's where the most prestige is. And if you even if you're the hundredth best player in the world, um, you get a lot of sponsorship money. You can get uh, clubs and apparel and companies will you, put you, their... You can make a living off it, basically. You make a living off it. Mm -hmm. And so you have to have that PGA card. That That's it. If you don't have a PGA card, now you're playing the you know web.com tour where the prize pool is you know $79 and a ham sandwich. And the PGA has done a great job at making sure that Africans Amer Americans specifically have a lot of access to the... Of course they have. PGA. Uh, and so what, what Tom uh, or what Greg Norman has done now with this other tour is he's come straight at the PGA and said, we are going to have big price pools. We're going to have some prestigious tournaments if all the big names can play there. And so he's, he's trying to drum up public support to say, let these guys play wherever they want to play. If they want to take some time off and go play these uh, Saudi Arabian tournament, why do you care? And, and they care because that means they're not playing whatever the local U.S. tournament would be that weekend. And they'll probably miss two tournaments. So in other words... And isn't a lot of this where they'll, they'll, they'll take like a Bubba Watson and they'll say, why don't you play Tom Watson? All the Watsons. Let's all the have Watson a, brothers. Let's have a Watson in... in, in it, it, let's have four golfers play for this particular purse. And and then while we're at it, let's throw in uh, a guy like Tom Brady. He's not doing much. Or the and pro -ams. We'll, we'll throw in some celebrities. I'm amazed how much money. Oh man. It's a tremendous amount of money. These, the, I, and I'm more interested in those. Tony Romo plays. Yeah, in all and those. They, 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 all those guys get mic'd up and everything. That to me is where the it's real TV. That's where the real entertainment is in, in, in golf and it, the Manning brothers. Have proven that with the Manning yeah. cast, and 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 I think golf is heading in that direction as well. So I mean, if I'm going to be pro like NCAA athlete, I need to be pro golfer here. The golfers are subcontractors, 
They're not guaranteed a salary by the PGA. And so the PGA is using their image and likeness to make their brand more expensive. If they want to play, I don't think they should get their, if they qualified to play in the PGA, they shouldn't lose that because they go play in a different tournament somewhere else in the world. Like that is a ridiculous stance. Bubba Watson, Tom Watson, Dr. Watson. And Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Now there's a foursome. <laughs> Hey, you guys, thanks for stopping by the Rod of Dodge Show. We really appreciate you, and thanks for listening. We, we're blown away that this uh, podcast has over a million, 300,000 spins. Do you, know the, do you know what the average number is for a podcast for their spins? Because so many people start them. Do I don't you? know. The uh, average amount of plays is 74. Hmm. Once in a while, I'll start following a podcast, and then it just disappears and just goes away, and they don't tell you. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, we're going to be here for the next year, you guys. I can tell you that. Anyway, thanks for listening to us. We appreciate that. A couple of things that you can do. Number one, remember, this is a referral business that we're in, and the way we pay the bills around here is by by uh, is is really by sitting at the table and being great real we're estate. We're not paying the bills by golfing because yeah. we're horrible. Yeah, being great real estate agents and working on your behalf, especially if you have a lot of deferred maintenance on your home and you need your help, just reach out. I love homes that need help, right? Don't tear them down. Let's just bring them back to greatness. And then you can make maximum money. And then you can go on a PGA tour and change your last name to Watson. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Ronandonsitdown.com if you need us. Ronandonsitdown.com. Need a loan? Mitch.loans. Just go to Mitch.loans. And also, we want to thank our good friends over at Les Schwab for sponsoring today's show. Don't forget, summer driving season right around the corner. So if you need new tires... Just go to LesSchwab.com, and those guys are right there in your neighborhood with over 84 locations serving. Uh, Until next time, everyone, he's Ron, I'm Don. Keep your head up, keep your shoulders back, and we'll see you right here all day on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back, and keep blowing that trumpet, and we'll see you next time. Only! 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 On the Ron and Don Radio Network.